You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Remain standing with me. Let's uh, open in a word of prayer this morning as we open up the word of God. Father, we stand this morning in awe of who you are. We are, as believers, the most blessed people on earth, not because of materialism and not because of peace, but because we have Jesus. Jesus, you're the world to us. Thank you for saving our wretched souls. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth and comfort us and, and lead us in your ways. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for this day which you've made and we're rejoicing in it. And God, this morning I pray as we open up your word, would you just simply be real and alive. May your presence, God, be palpable in this place as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome here. Go ahead and grab a seat this morning. Uh, we're so glad that you have joined us. It's always good on uh, launch Sunday to see faces we haven't seen in a while. I know the Lord has taken us here, there, and everywhere this summer, so welcome back, church family. And uh, we're excited you're here. And if it's your first time here, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, always uh, great to meet new friends, and we trust that the Lord will uh, hopefully bring you into our church family that we can do this, this journey together. Uh, but ultimately, we're here to worship Jesus. Amen. And we're here to hear from God, and we're just going to dig right in today uh, to Mark uh, chapter 1. And so turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, stick your hand up, and one of our ushers will be glad to give you a copy of God's Word. This is our gift to you. If you don't have one at home, please take this. This is our gift to you. This is the best, most precious gift we could give you. Uh, Mark chapter 1. Really excited about this ministry year. We pray about these things. We seek the Lord about where we're going as a church, and uh, we really believe God's leading us to a gospel's. Uh, for the first time in our uh, almost eight years of church existence, we're going to preach through the gospel of Mark, uh, verse by verse, from beginning to end, uh, learning uh, what it is to encounter our God and King, Jesus Christ. The title of this sermon series is simply this, Vintage Jesus. And uh, we just really want to gain a fresh perspective on the most influential person in human history, Jesus Christ. Whether you've heard of him before or not, whether you've been following the Lord for a long time, isn't it true that what we need more than anything, more than a vacation, uh, more than more of anything else, what we need is just a fresh glimpse of Jesus and he changes absolutely everything. And so that's what we're going for this year. And think of this, Jesus Christ, the one and only Jesus Christ, revolutionary, the life transformer, the life changer. This is who we're going after this ministry year. Why do we call this vintage Jesus? Here's a definition of vintage, of highest quality and lasting value, or showing the best characteristics of something, especially from the past. Literally, there's only one vintage person in all of history. 2,000 years old, Jesus is, but still alive today. Recognized worldwide, interest never wavering, of utmost beauty and value, of purest quality. This is Jesus. He is our treasure. He is our life. Without him, we have nothing, but with him, we have absolutely everything. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this morning, it doesn't just matter that you believe in Jesus. It matters what you believe about Jesus. You hear that? It doesn't just matter that you believe in Jesus. Well, I believe in Jesus. Great. A lot of people say that. But what matters most is, is what you believe about Jesus. And so we really want to help you understand clearly and truly and purely Jesus Christ. Let's be honest. There's so many different perspectives of Jesus in our world today, you mentioned Jesus, a whole bunch of ideas pop up in people's minds and maybe even in your minds, you, you're not quite sure who Jesus is and here's some perspectives of Jesus in our world. Most of them are wrong, one of them is right. But here's some perspectives of Jesus in our world today. Many people believe that Jesus is just a mythical figure like an ancient Greek or Roman God and you know we have Zeus and we have Jesus and I don't know and I think both of them are kind of in the past and why do we care anyways? That's a common view of many people today. Here's another view. Jesus is just an inspiring teacher. 
Maybe you're here thinking that today, you know, not sure about this sinless thing or this resurrection stuff, but Jesus did teach some good solid morals and he inspired some people, so I guess he's okay. Sort of like, you know, we have Mother Teresa before her became Jesus. Many people today think Jesus is just a good teacher, inspiring teacher. Others believe that Jesus is like a spiritual Dalai Lama, this eccentric guru who came and gave us some interesting philosophy and some deep spirituality, but Jesus, he's like one of a plethora of gods I can put my faith in or choose to follow. Many people believe that about Jesus. Some people even believe this about Jesus today. He's just a rogue renegade. He was just a wild man. He kind of messed with the political and social and religious systems, and he had some charisma, and he said some wild things, and somehow got this cult following, but I'm not sure why we're still talking about him today. He's kind of irrelevant. You know people like that? Believe one of those four things about Jesus? Maybe you're one of those people that's like, those sound good to me. I'm not sure really who Jesus is. Well, there's a fifth option, and the option that we're going to focus on mostly from all, totally from God's word this coming year is this option. Jesus is more than all of those things combined. Here's what Jesus is. Jesus is truly the son of God. Jesus is the son of God, the divine, sinless son of God, fully God and yet completely man, the one who came to earth to reconcile mankind to God through the forgiveness of sins and the promise of a new life now and forevermore. That is truly the vintage Jesus of the Bible. And that's why we gather to worship today. And this is why we're opening up the Gospel of Mark because Mark has one focus in writing his letter and it is to show us and to prove to us and to compel us to the last option that Jesus is the Son of God. Nothing more and nothing less. And he's written this that he'd compel us to, to follow him with all that we have. Who is Jesus? Tim Keller summarized the book of Mark with these words. He's the king and his mission is the cross. The identity of Jesus is he is the king and his purpose is to pursue the cross that we might know him and follow him. Let me give you some background on the book of Mark before we get to 1 verse 1. Here's the book of Mark. The book of Mark is most likely written by a man named John Mark, even though it's anonymous. As you see here, it's the Gospel of Mark. was kind of an anonymous book, but written by John Mark in the late 50s or early 60s, shortly after Christ lived. So Christ came, merely 50 or 60 years later, this book was written by John Mark. That actually adds to the validity of Jesus because the shorter the time gap between when he lived and when there's writings about him actually would be more evidence to show that he is real rather than, say, a thousand years later, someone writes something about this random guy named Jesus. Well, that's kind of random, right? 50 to 60 years after Jesus lived, Mark wrote the book. Mark actually was not an eyewitness of Jesus, as some suspect. Mark was actually Peter's running mate or Peter's buddy, Peter's maybe scribe. And he was writing these things from Peter's experiences, who saw Jesus firsthand, and Peter's uh, testimonies and sermons. And so uh, Mark is writing from Rome for the wider church to an audience that was unfamiliar with the Jewish customs. So, so, So Mark is writing to people like us, Gentiles, and not the Jews, the Gentiles, that, that we would understand clearly who Jesus uh, really is. And Mark focuses uh, not on Jesus' physical qualities, but he focuses on the teachings and actions of Jesus, showing us, hey, Jesus' claims are true. This letter is, as I speak, fast-paced, action-oriented, and detail-infused. And so this is going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. I love the focus of Mark. He doesn't get into tons of detail sometimes. He's just like, like I am. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Leaves us going like, yes, yes, yes. And so I pray you're as excited as I am as we really roll out the red carpet this morning, roll out the red carpet and say, here's Jesus. And so as we read uh, this first few verses of this, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand together in reverence of God? And if he was going to physically walk in this place, we'd roll out the red carpet and we wouldn't be sitting there with our arms crossed. We'd be standing up in reverence. And so we're going to do that as we read the word of God and then we'll have you sit back down and we will study this verse by verse. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. 
make straight his paths. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey, eccentric man. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. As you're standing, let me just pray and say, God, make this alive in every one of our hearts. Thank you, God, again for your word. We stand, Lord, in reverence and anticipation and expectation, God, today that we're not just gonna hear a sermon, we're gonna encounter the living God. We're gonna encounter Jesus Christ. Oh, God, may you make it so. I cannot make your word come alive in any heart, including my own. But I know, oh God, you want more than a sermon in our hearts today. You want eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand and wills to move according to your word. So, oh God, we beg of you, we plead of you, God, make that so today in this church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I encourage you to take notes this morning. Uh, first thing you can write in your notes is this, as we study this text. Uh, clearly, clearly, we see here comes King Jesus. God announced his son emphatically. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 uh, to 1, verse 8 is simply this. God announcing his son emphatically. Look at what it says here. The gospel according to Mark, it really should say the gospel of Jesus Christ is what it should say. That should be the whole Bible. But notice this, verse 1, verse 1. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's a pretty definitive statement right off the bat, isn't it? There's really no wiggle room for what we think about Jesus or what we think about the Bible. In the beginning, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Notice this, in the beginning. When was that phrase ever ushered before? That phrase sound familiar to you, in the beginning? Oh yeah, it does, doesn't it? Genesis 1.1, what happened then? In the beginning, God created. He, he, he brought the world into existence. That's phase one of his plan for all of creation, for all of human history. Now we see another in the beginning. Well, didn't we already have a beginning? Yeah, we did, but this is another beginning. This is, this is phase two of God's redemption plan. This is the beginning of a human era where we now relate to God differently than we did in the first part of the human era. We now relate to God through one person, Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of a whole new way of God opening up himself to relate uh, to mankind and mankind to relate uh, to God. In the beginning of what? The beginning of Jesus' ministry, really. If you notice from uh, Matthew and Luke, they track the lineage and the birth of Jesus. Mark here is just jumping right in to prove his point to get to the, the fact that Jesus is no ordinary prophet. He jumps right into the ministry of Jesus. So in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is where Mark picks up the story. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love that word gospel. You have to understand what that means. So many people see it on signs even at football games, gospel, whatever, and yet what's the gospel? The gospel is this, it's news or tidings. Eugelion is the official term, gospel. In the Old Testament, it, it meant something a little different than the new. It meant reward for good tidings or good tidings. New Testament, honestly, it just meant news. But as the news of Jesus formed, it became good news, great news, awesome news, I want you to know this, it's not fake news today or any news, it's life-altering news about Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel of who? Jesus Christ. You hear that term a lot in your day and age too, don't you? At work, at school, but not the context of what we're going to hear today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Notice this, Jesus Christ isn't just a randomly chosen name. They didn't get this name from the top 10 name list, the baby book for that year. Like, who should we name our son? Well, Jesus looks popular. Jesus is a derivative of Yahshua or Joshua. Yahweh is salvation. Jesus, Yahweh is salvation. What Moses couldn't do in the Old Testament delivers people the promised land. Joshua came and did do. But what Joshua can't do and ultimately save our souls and bring us to a forever perfect promised land, Jesus Christ came to do and did. Jesus Christ, Joshua, Christ is not his last name at all. It means anointed Messiah. He's God's special agent on earth. It perfectly fits his identity, his name. He is, as it says here, who is Jesus Christ? Clearly the Son of God. The Son of God. Well, that's interesting. Aren't we all sons and daughters of God? Well, no, this is different than that. This is the Son of God. This is a divine term. It's showing Jesus' divinity. He's not any ordinary person. He is the Son of God. It says the same thing in John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. John 1 says this, reminds us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there. He's eternal. Colossians chapter 1 reminds us of this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God in whom the fullness of God dwells. Colossians chapter 1, he's the image of the invisible God. Or sorry, Hebrews chapter 1, he's the exact imprint of the nature of God. When it says Jesus is a son of God, it doesn't even mean that he's like the well, well, father and son, they sure look a lot alike. Mother and daughter, man, you're spitting images. They're like, well, he's a doppelganger of God. Apparently we all have a doppelganger in this world. Apparently I, we've been told I look like Conor McGregor, but we're nothing alike, I assure you. I, th- I thought it was funny too. I'm not nearly half as tough either. But that's not the kind of son of God or like God we're talking about. It's talking about this. When you see Jesus, you see God. When you know Jesus, you know God. And so this is who the gospel is about. It's about Jesus Christ. Father and Son are intimately known and together and intricately entwined. Jesus is the real deal. In fact, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, kind of culminates with this one word, Christos, the anointed royal, an anointed royal figure. Not a king, but the king. How do we know this? Verse 2 and 3, right to verse 8. But how do we know this? Well, Mark doesn't quote a whole lot of the Old Testament because he's not writing to Jews who know the Old Testament. But here he quotes the Old Testament just to make his point from the beginning. He is the Son of God. It's very clear, very definitive. How do we know this? Well, he's going back to the prophets, uh, Isaiah and Malachi, to remind us that, that this was all foretold 400 and 700 years before Jesus came, that there'd be a forerunner coming, one who came before him to pave the way for him so that when he came... We wouldn't be like, was that Jesus? I'm not sure. Forerunner will come before me be like, hey guys, hey guys, look over there. That's Jesus. And so he has a couple quotes here from the Old Testament. The first, verse two is quoted from Malachi chapter three, verse one. Malachi written, written 400 years before Jesus lived. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The messenger's coming and Malachi said it and here he is right here and Isaiah said it in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Saying John the Baptist is here right now. He's the guy that was the forerunner. Forerunner, any of you guys know football, football season kicked off, and so there's an offensive line, there's a quarterback, there's a fullback, and there's a running back. Usually the running back gets the ball, and he's a little quicker and faster. There's a fullback in front of him, he's a little slower and wider and stockier. And his job is simply this. Get the ball to the running back. He makes a path for him. He clears the house. That's what the forerunner is doing. Making a path for Jesus. Better yet, the forerunner is doing this. He's more like a commentator or a narrator, and a narrator in a play. Hey, the curtains come closed. The narrator comes out and says, hey, this next scene is going to be phenomenal. Take note of this character, Jesus Christ. That's John's, that's John's role. Look how John does it in verse 4. John appeared baptizing, thus the name John the 
Yep, we're smart, right? Very clear. How did he get that name? Well, that's pretty simple. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached. He came preaching. That was his method of of making a way for Jesus, saying this, after me, before you get your eyes on me, think that I'm this spectacle, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie. Verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John didn't just come to say, hey, there's Jesus. He came to also call us to a response, because the truth is, you see Jesus, you have to respond. You're going to respond in one way or another. And John's like, hey, when you see that he clearly is who he says he is, there's one way to respond is to repent and be baptized. You'll notice a little later on, this is the exact same message Jesus used. He must have stolen John's notes because it's the same message. Repent and be baptized. Jesus is just coming to make your life easy and comfortable. He's not coming just to bless your life. He's coming as the reigning king, the judge, and your response is to repent and be baptized. What does repent mean? Simply repent means this. When I see the holiness and the truth of God, like I become undone. Recognizing that I have no place before a holy God. It's not just like repentance. Oh, I'm sorry, I got caught. I'll try better next time. It's like, I'm undone. Falling at the feet of this Jesus and also determining not just that I'm undone, but that now I am done with sin and the old way of life and I'm going to follow Jesus. That's repentance. And, and it's, it's really calling the Jews who were, don't forget, they were already covenant followers of Jesus Christ is calling them to like step even away from that and align totally with Jesus. All my Jewish traditions don't matter anymore. It's Jesus is going to matter. I need forgiveness for my own sins in my heart. Thus baptism, repentance and baptism go hand in hand in the Bible. And so to repent and be baptized, here's what John was doing. He was taking people to the water and as a clear call of saying, hey, I am, I am going to Ask for forgiveness of my sins, and here's the outward show to the public, to the world, that I am not just even a Jew anymore. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so he went to baptizing them, dunking them. Symbol of what it means to be forgiven of our sin. I'm done with my old life, and I'm going to be brought, made new in this person, Jesus Christ. And notice, though, that his baptism was one of repentance. It was a different baptism than Jesus had. And you're like, huh, huh? It is. Do you notice that in the text? See it? After me comes one who is mightier than I, whose sandals are not worthy to untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and so clearly we see in Scripture that baptism is, is a clear conscious choice of the believer. I repent by faith and get baptized. And yes, for forgiveness of sins, but John's baptism was only partial. It was pointing to a greater baptism that Jesus was bringing that was going to not just be for forgiveness of sins, but was also going to be in his own name, through the, and attached to that would be the power of the Holy Spirit was going to come in. And so through them both, we see the full picture of what Jesus meant for baptism for believers. Forgiveness of sins, absolutely, but bigger than that, it's, I want to show the world that I'm new on the inside, and Jesus' power cleanses me from the inside out. John's baptism external. Jesus' baptism Internal. John couldn't do that. Jesus can. And so I'm changed on the inside. I'm different now, and I'm standing with Jesus. And notice this. There's only one baptism. It's the one in Jesus Christ as a believer. Always in scriptures, repent and be baptized. also want to notice this. In Acts chapter 19, there was some men who were baptized into John, and Jesus came and started baptizing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about this whole baptism thing? I was baptizing John. Is that the same as Jesus? Jesus is like, absolutely not. And there was a bunch of men who were baptized again. I know some of you struggle with that. Well, can I be baptized again? There is proof of that in Acts 19, verses 1 to 7. Because the first baptism wasn't fully complete. It wasn't in Jesus Christ. For the internal cleansing and giving the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism at that point. 
We know in New Testament that the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we confess our sins to Jesus Christ. So baptism of the Holy Spirit don't have anything. That was kind of initiating in the new era that God was bringing, but now we repent of our sins. The Holy Spirit comes within us as we fall on our face before God, and then he empowers us to stand up, and the first step as a Christian is to step in the tank in the waters of baptism and be immersed as a believer. Salvation, step 1A, repent. Step 1B, uh, be baptized as we see here. People were doing this. They were confessing their sin. Again, hope you've understood the verses 4 and 5 and also verse uh, 8 together since they're all about baptism. I'll lump them together. So they're doing this. They're seeing, wow, this guy has got something going on and they're being baptized and they're confessing their sins. And God, I notice this about uh, John. He wasn't a regular guy. You know, we think of prophets and pastors as the clean cut, hair parted in the middle, you know, carrying their big books. John was like not like that at all. That's what I like about John. He kind of blows away all the stereotypes. The Jews are looking at him like, this guy's a man of God. He's a prophet in the true sense of the word prophet. Just like the Old Testament prophets, they were kind of eccentric men and lived a lot in the wilderness. That was John. He was a New Testament prophet contemporary to even a guy like Elijah. Notice he wasn't so concerned about what he wore, he wasn't so concerned about the gourmet meals he was supposed to have. You know what his main, cons- main focus was? I just got to point people to Jesus. Wasn't worried about the externals. So focused on like the message and the intensity of his calling that none of the other stuff mattered. Like why does John dress like a rogue renegade from the wilderness? I think part of the point is to show us that he didn't care about anything but one thing, fulfilling God's mission for him to point people to Jesus Christ. That's how urgent uh, this message is. We see John coming and eating all kinds of locusts and wild honey and preaching. Really all this is just serving to show you that there was one better coming. This is whole John's message. Repent and be baptized. Verse seven. There is one who is mightier than I of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This is his message. Just see Jesus. Just see Jesus. Just see Jesus. You have to note in this that when he says that Jesus is so great that he's not even worthy to stoop down, stoop down and untie his sandals. This is, this is for Jews. This is like, wow, who stoops down and untie sandals? Who deals with the stinky feet? Only the lowly of the low. Jews didn't even do that. And here is a guy that Jesus said in Matthew 11 that he's the greatest of all men. And he's saying, if I'm the greatest of all men, then I should be as, lower than a, as low as a slave before this man because that's how great he is. Let's just stop there and ponder for a minute. This really verses one to eight is simply all showing us this, that this is, this is God announcing his son emphatically. This is God announcing his son emphatically. If you think that Jesus was just another person, like, hold on to your seat. A lot about John, but it's little John, big Jesus. This is, this is the greatest event, the coming of Jesus from his birth to his ministry, the time here is on earth. This is the greatest event that the world has ever seen apart from creation. This is like the announcement that should hit every headline of every major newspaper, of every news station across the world, Jesus Christ is ushering in a brand new era of how we are going to relate to God. Don't know how to say it to really help you grasp the significance of this. If John is greatest, Jesus is in a league of his own. This, this, this whole ministry of Jesus, this time of Jesus when he was here on earth, this is, this is bigger than any industrial revolution. This is bigger than World War I or II or the Age of Enlightenment or the Renaissance or the medical revolution or the American Revolution or the most influential periods in human history. This is it. This is the greatest historical event apart from the resurrection of Jesus as God says, I am now gonna manifest myself on earth through the visible life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I know for some of us, we have a hard time grappling with that. May I ask you this morning just to open your hearts and say, God, if this is real, make it true in me. Some of you I know accept this and believe this, but even as I'm saying it, you're like, man, what's that guy all fired up about? Because that fire has been lost in your soul for the reality of Jesus. 
Can you ask God right now in this moment to say, God, I, I hear the announcement, but I'm struggling to get fired up. Can, can you stir me again with the truth of Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to hear. I came to hear on the edge of your seat just to say, God, thank you for the truth of Jesus today. Thank you that you made it clear for us that it doesn't matter how smart we are or how gifted we are, we can see Jesus and we can be changed. Notice this, God wants us to hear this message so definitively in our hearts that he not only announced his son emphatically, but he also affirmed his son dramatically. God affirmed his son dramatically. That's, we see this in the baptism of Jesus. Notice there's a lot of baptism in this, right? It's a, it's a big deal to God. Listen to verses 9 uh, through 11. The baptism of Jesus, Mark, Mark leaves a whole lot of the details out because all he really wants to get to is the fact that clearly God affirmed that this was his son through his baptism. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Again, that's reminding the people that this is a prophecy being fulfilled. They said way back when that God, Jesus was going to come from Nazareth, a place where no one really good came from, a least expected place of a Messiah. But here's Jesus from Nazareth, Mark making that tie back to the Old Testament and even Matthew and Luke. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. Can you picture this with me? The heavens being torn open. If there was never a doubt in people's minds that Jesus was truly the Son of God, like they're standing there watching this thing, all of a sudden, hey, this is pretty cool. Jesus is being baptized. He's going to show us the way. Yet he was raised up and like the heavens like exploded with who knows what, they were torn open. And from the heavens came this voice, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And the dove came and kind of hovered over the whole reality. You have to know this, as if we get baptized as a sign of repentance and an inward changed heart, this is not why Jesus was baptized. He wasn't baptized because of any sin he had, but he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, as it says in Matthew 3.15. Let's be honest, Jesus didn't need to demonstrate anything to anybody. But what was he doing? He was fulfilling God's plan for him. He was even foreshadowing what was to come in his death and burial and resurrection. He was showing us that, the, hey, here's the way. Here's the path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You, you follow me, and the path is that I'm going to die for your sins, and, and it's through my blood that your sins are going to be covered over, and you're going to be raised to brand new life. This is why Jesus followed the Lord's will in baptism, not because he had to, but because he was showing us the way. Think about this. Jesus was baptized. If there's anyone that didn't need to be baptized, Jesus Christ. Sinless. Circumcised on the eighth day. Raised by the Jewish customs. In all intents and purposes for the Jewish people, he was already all in. And yet he did this so we would see the way of how we are to also walk and to actually fulfill all of God's plan for his life. Notice this, it's such a significant event that all the members of the Godhead show up. We don't see Trinity anywhere in the Bible or the actual word, but here it is in the New Testament. Father, Son, son the Spirit hovering. What's that signifying? Well, Jesus didn't need the Holy Spirit. He was already filled with the Holy Spirit from the beginning. The Holy Spirit in a visible way now coming upon Jesus to start his earthly ministry. The Father's voice is not insignificant. I don't know about when you were um, graduated college or preached your first sermon or whatever you did, but I know when I graduated college and preached my first sermon, there's no booming voice from heaven, that's for sure. There's my little mom in the audience going, good job, son. But when Jesus was stepping out, the voice, already you saw the heavens being torn open and a dove come, the voice this is my beloved son, beloved, meaning this, the Greek word is a gapitos, my esteemed son, my favorite son, my only son, so beloved, and then son, you know, we automatically assume that because he's a son, he was loved. This is like a double love, this is like a double favor, this is like uber loved was Jesus. Father was there. 
the one overseeing and orchestrating everything and ruling in all power. The son was obviously there carrying out God's plan of salvation. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, now ruling at the right hand of God. He was there clearly. And the spirit was there, God's active agent in the world today, guiding people in all truth, drawing unbelievers to the Lord, indwelling believers and empowering us to live out God's purposes and accomplish God's work. This is really just simply for, for us to see that, man, was this just a, was Jesus really the one or was maybe, maybe John pointing in the wrong direction? This was clearly God's son. Again, you have to notice this. Don't you notice this? Uh, verse 11, and a voice came from heaven. Notice the parallels. How did, how did the world get created in Genesis 1? God spoke it. You didn't sound too convinced about that. He spoke it. It's how we're all here. How did the second era of God's plan begin to be fulfilled with a voice? No, there's the power of a, God speaks it and it's true, it's real. God speaks it and he confirms it. He, he, he is enabling Jesus' ministry simply by a voice that came from heaven. Simply we should be sitting there going, man, if, if God said this, I need to believe it. And that should settle it as one person says. God affirmed his son dramatically and I love how Mark doesn't really get into details. All he wants you to know today is that this is for real. It's true. This happened. Don't miss it. Here's the third point before we get into application today. God authenticated his son definitively. God just didn't affirm his son dramatically. He authenticated his son definitively. Notice this. After you see Jesus getting up out of the water, you'd probably expect like the touch by an angel scene, right? Like the... Everything's glowing, everybody's happy, and yet look what happens next. Look what happens uh, right away here. The Spirit immediately drove him in, out into the wilderness. Matthew's account and Luke's account in chapter 4 of both, both books, they say that the Spirit led him out into the wilderness. It, it led him to a place not of prominence, it led him to a place of testing. It led him to a place where he was, we were going to actually see his, his, the proof of his his sonship being lived out, and he led him to a place of temptation. You have to notice this. In the Old Testament, many of the Old Testament prophets gained their call in the wilderness. Elijah and Elisha. Moses spent how many years in the wilderness before he actually had his ministry started? 40 years. Jesus spent 40 days showing you that he is not just the true king, but he is the one true prophet receiving his call and confirmation uh, from the Lord. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Again, Mark doesn't get into what the temptations are, but we see from other pastors what they were. Mark's main point is this, that even though he was tempted, he came through unscathed. He who knew no sin and could overcome all temptation was going to become sin for us that we might also be able to overcome temptation and live in God's path. And Mark wants us to know that God was with him in this time. He was with Jesus, the wild animals. You can think wilderness, you think temptation, you think wild animals, you just think like a pretty horrible, dark, scary spot. Let's be honest, none of us can overcome in our darkest, weakest moments of temptation. Every one of us like, it's too much, it's too much. Jesus didn't say it was too much. He was too much for the temptation and the weakness because God was with him. The angels were ministering to him. The angels were ministering to him. Jesus overcame every temptation Satan would throw at him, ultimately telling Satan, you know what? You're never gonna tempt me to do it your way. I'm here to do it God's way. I'm God's man for the hour, for this time, to do it God's way. I will fulfill my God-ordained mission and nothing is going to stop me, not even the devil himself. Mark chapter one, verses one to 13. It's just God showing us that this is 
his son. Jesus is truly, truly the son of God. And just like John put before the people, Jesus, and demanded a response, so we see the true reality of Jesus, it demands a response from us. Knowing these truths, we can't just sit in our seats and not decide either one way or the other that I am going to buy into Jesus or I am going to choose to leave him behind. Begs the question this morning, who do you say Jesus is? Really in your hearts. I'm not even looking for the theological answer today because many of us will give us the right theological answer, but, but, but who do you really say Jesus is as evidenced by the way that you interact with him, as evidenced by the way that you live your life in light of him? Who do you say Jesus is? I can assume that all five categories of what I read off at the beginning of the sermon are in the room this morning. Some of you think he's a mythical figure. Some of you think he's just a good teacher. Some of you think he's a Dalai Lama sort of guy or a renegade. But the Bible says he is the son of God. And that leaves us in a spiritual dilemma per se. Either I believe it or accept it or I refuse and deny it. Eternal consequences on both sides. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about man were confronted by Jesus Christ. We're confronted with the truths of Jesus Christ. He takes the angle that most people think that he was just a good moral teacher. Here's what he says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so what we see basically in Mark chapter 1, the first 13 verses, we see, we see God sending us a memo to our inbox saying, saying, hey, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus today. Look to Jesus today. And what you do with that memo is up to you. But we know God wants you to read that memo and say, yes, I will look to Jesus today. So many of us treat this announcement, this invitation from God as almost like the junk mail we get in our, we get in our mailboxes at home. And what do we do with those junk mail? Sometimes we just read it and we're like, ah, garbage, right? Whoosh, this is how people respond to Jesus. Sometimes we look at that junk mail like, hey, this is maybe somewhat of interest. I'll put it on my counter and let it sit there for a while my, in my, my to-do pile. Do you have one of those in your house? Yeah, me too. It's getting bigger and bigger as the days go by. Maybe one day I'll look at it, but today I'm so busy right now and I've got things to do and I'm not just quite there yet and it just sits in the pile. Some of us take that announcement and we, we look at it and we're like, yeah, this, this is probably pretty important for me. I should probably look at it in some greater detail. So we put it on the fridge. Thinking that maybe one day my eyes will cross it and then, then, I'll, then I'll take time to think about it and process it and read it and Then others of us get the announcements, the invitations, the things in the mail. We open them and they see the RSVP and we're like, man, this is something I need to respond to. I will respond and I'm going to do it today, right now. This is of such most, utmost urgency to my life. This is a priority for me. God wants us to hear this, to treat it as an RSVP, to know him and to be a part of his plans for all of eternity. And he wants us to, to, to simply act on it and to respond today, knowing this, that even though there's no, there's no expiry date on that, as there is on so many of our invitations we get, that there is an expiry date on it for every one of us because one day we're gonna meet Jesus. And it might not be the day you think it's going to be. And it might, not, it might be before he comes back for all of us. It might just be your time to, to meet Jesus. And if you haven't filled out your RSVP that I want to be with Jesus by then and I am going to follow him, then that is too late.
And it should cause us to see some sort of urgency in a response to this. How do I respond to this message? It says it in the text. It actually says it in the text next week too, and in a few weeks from now it says this, repent for the forgiveness of sins and be baptized. Repent, acknowledge that Jesus is who God says he is, a sinless savior, and I am nothing like him. I am a sinful sojourner. And I'm going to buy into this Jesus message with all that I have. Mark is writing to us that he would bring us to a place of repentance, that we become undone, realizing that we are so wretched and ugly in our sinful selves compared to a holy, righteous God. And she caused us to melt at his feet and not be like the Pharisees who were like, oh yeah, I got it all figured out according to my Jewish customs and traditions. Well, he was saying the Pharisees, good for your Jewish customs and traditions, but you're undone according to your customs and traditions against Jesus because even you can't fulfill all those perfectly. And then to decide that we're not just going to be undone, we're going to be done with our sin, we're going to change our mind, we're going to turn our path, we're going to do these things, we're going to follow Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's desire for us, even starting a new ministry year, are you going to give me your everything this ministry year, or are you going to continue giving me half of your thing and leaving the other half of your thing to yourself? This is Jesus inviting us to something brand new in our relationship with him, even this coming ministry year, to allow God, God, I want something new in me. I want to give you everything, God. How do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Here's how we do it. Here's how we live out simply the knowledge, the awesome knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God who came to be our Messiah. Here's how we live it out. We first and foremost, we look to Jesus today. We look to Jesus We turn our gaze in his direction knowing that he wants us to see him. It says this in the word over and over. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ and and those of you who are yet to be brothers and sisters in Christ, do you really seek Jesus with your whole heart this morning? Is your gaze heavenward or is your gaze horizontal? Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 and chapter Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 say this. This is, this is how God wants us to respond to this amazing news, this good news, that we're to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, setting our minds on things that are above, not on things of this earth. Where are your eyes this morning? Are your eyes on Jesus or your eyes on you thinking that somehow you're going to be a good person and you're going to accomplish things for God? Or eyes on Jesus realize that you are nothing and he is everything. Amen. Are your eyes still glorying in the fact that God saved you, confounded by the reality that why would he choose us to be a part of God's plan? Or have you somehow graduated this place where you're like, of course I know why God chose me. I'm better than half the people in this room. Gosh darn it, I'm a pretty good guy. Or your eyes still on Jesus, saying, oh, Jesus, well, how, why, how, I just want to look to you, Father. I just, I just, I just, Jesus, I just want to be where you are, God. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Or are your eyes fixed on everything else this morning? The things of this world, maybe the stresses, the tribulations, the trials, the troubles. God's desire that we get our eyes back on Jesus. That our lives would be engulfed by him again. That we'd ponder Jesus. That we'd we'd seek his face. That we'd contemplate his reality. That we wouldn't settle until we see him clearly and see him for who he truly is. This word, brothers and sisters, is more than an instruction book. It's an invitation for you to see Jesus. Whether you've known him for five minutes or 50 years, an invitation to once again see Jesus and to be enamored with him. It's also an invitation to listen to his voice. 
This is how we respond to loving God with all that we are. We, we look for him today. We listen to his voice. Listen to what it says in John 10, 27. My sheep, this is Jesus speaking, of which we are his sheep, hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. Mark is writing, not that we have this, this concept now, this theological understanding, well, I know Jesus. Is a, I, and I have all the theology down. He writes that we would hear the voice of Jesus, that we'd Perk our ears. Man, Jesus, if this is true, if you're real, if you're still alive today, if you speak, then I want more than anything else to hear your voice. More than my own voice. More than my mom's voice. I want to hear God's voice through his son. I want to sit up and take notice to what God says in a new way, in a fresh way, and I want his voice to influence my life in every single direction. Remember when I first became saved and I remember sitting in my dorm room, dorm room I told you a story a little bit at Bible college. I wasn't quite saved yet at Bible college. I'll tell you a little bit more about that after if you want to know that. And I remember sitting there and realizing that, man, God is who he says he is, which means Jesus is his son. And I had this overwhelming reality of Jesus, his son, is his son. Like, oh my goodness, I better start listening up to that point of 18 years, I was a pastor's kid. I had heard a lot of truth about Jesus. But I didn't listen to it. I knew a lot about his voice. But I never heard it. Here's the glory of Jesus. He's not just a mythical figure of the past. He's a living, real, present of person of today. At the right hand of the Father, speaking to his people through his word. How do you hear Jesus' voice? Yes, through the Holy Spirit, but predominantly through his word. Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. We've just seen the picture of who Jesus is. Are your ears open to what he wants to teach you each and every day through his word? Are your devotions simply like a, a little spiritual check mark to get your daily crumb for the day so you can have a little bit of nourishment, but you're really not interested in hearing Jesus' voice? I pray if that's you, a fresh encounter with Jesus is what you're in for because that changes everything. Let me tell you this, reading your Bible is not a boring thing because that's how the voice of Jesus becomes alive in your soul through the Holy Spirit. And so reading your Bible is transformed to this, from this, I'm gonna study a history textbook kind of mentality to a like, God, speak to me today. Show me who you are today. I'm ready for it. Show me who I really am today. Instead of all the facades of what I want to make myself and pretend I am. Show me who you are. Show me who I am. Let me meet Jesus face to face. Show me the way, God. Show me the way you have for my life. This is the Christian life. Listing a bunch of rules. It's looking to Jesus. It's hearing his, his, his voice. It's, it's letting him guide the way. It's letting him guide the way and, and allowing his word to, to penetrate your heart and his promises to, to motivate your life and, and his grace and his truth to infiltrate your soul. And letting him lead your life. Students, more important than studying all your textbooks your professors are gonna give you this year. You know what's most important is that you study this book and hear from God. You get a lot of good ideas from your professors, you'll find truth here. Adults, I know your boss is going to give you a lot of manuals to read. You're going to have a lot of like sports, sports stuff to keep up with. And, and ladies, you're, whatever you guys... <laughs> I don't want to go there. I just, I'm going to say something that's probably wrong. Whatever you're tempted to read more than the word, like... It might be appealing to you, but nothing should be more appealing than this book and hearing the voice of the Lord. Seniors, as you navigate to the end of your years on this earth and you're tempted to invest your life in a lot of things, that this is where the investment goes. The Son of God wants you to commune with him and hear him and see him. And also this, follow him to live for him, live with him. Knowing this Jesus we're preaching about, knowing this Jesus 
It's not just seeing him. It's not just hearing from him. It's, it's living with him. It's not just living for him. It's living with him. So many times in the New Testament, we see these words. We see these words. Jesus says, and we're going to study in a few weeks, come and follow me, his disciples. Follow me. It says this 20 times in all four gospels, six in Matthew, four in Mark, five in Luke, five in John. Simply this, simply this, follow me. As you study the book of Mark, it's God inviting us to a brand new path of life, a path that revolves around him, a path that includes, whether we like it or not, a tour guide that is going to take us to all the places we ought to go and should go and to maybe all the places we want to go and have designed ourselves to go. But it's going to be a good path and a right path. It's going to be a path that pleases him in every way rather than a path that dishonors him. The Bible is Jesus' invitation to follow his path. It's going to be a path of humility over pride, which is hard to swallow, recognizing he is God, and I'm not the center of anybody's universe, even my own, yet that is the right path and the good path that leads to fulfillment. It's going to be a path that chooses right over wrong. As satisfying as the wrong seems to our sinful souls, it's going to actually be the path that is right and good for us is going to be the path that it chooses honor of God over dishonoring him. I love this as I study the scriptures. Jesus didn't come just to save us from our sin, but to sh- truly show us the way of life. He didn't just come to save us from our sin and leave us to figure the rest out. He came to truly show us life, and he's begging us again, follow me. Not haphazardly, but wholeheartedly. Seeing Jesus, hearing his voice, following him. Hope we're doing a little self-analysis right now, a self-introspection. Is this, is this me? Am I fully alive to Jesus Christ? Lastly, it's this. The response that Jesus is looking for us today is to simply love him. Is that we would love him above all else. First Peter 1.9 says, referring to Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Ultimately, God wants us to see Jesus, not just to see him, not just to hear his voice, not just to follow him, but to simply love him above all else. That's the greatest command God gave us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God loves you so much, he sent his only son to this life, to this world, to live the perfect life you couldn't live and die the dastardly death you should have died because of your sin. And because Jesus paid the ultimate price, because he he did go through that, he did follow God's plan from start to finish, he did overcome all temptation, even temptation to put himself on a cross. Because he did that for you and I, What God wants most from us is simply to love him with all the love that he puts in our hearts that we can muster for love him and love his son that much. To say, God, I once again surrender everything to you. I once again want you to be my everything. I want to love you above all else. Humanly, is that possible? Humanly, is that possible? As possible as that Jesus is alive and God is real but not through our strength, through his. As we go through Mark this year, I am praying that those four things become an increasing, the increasing reality of our hearts, that we'd be looking to Jesus, we'd be listening to Jesus, we'd be living with him, but that we'd be loving him above all else. Uh, a sermon series win for me is that wherever you are on the spectrum of those things, if you grade yourself on all those things, am I looking to Jesus today, get like a 3 out of 10, or whatever you get, or a 7 out of 10, and, or a 10 out of 10, I pray that by the end of this year, whatever you're at now, You can grade yourself on those. Go ahead right now and see where you're at. We'll be at least one or two points further along in our faith and our walk with Jesus. More determined to look for him than we are today at the end of this year. More eager to hear his voice than we are today at the end of this year. More determined to follow him by the end of this year than we are today more consumed with love for him than maybe ever before in our lives.
I'm inviting you to come with me on a journey. I can't wait. All those things I just said to you, I need all of them too. I don't have 10 out of 10s on any one of those things. In fact, some I'd be too shy to share with you this morning. But I want to invite you on a journey to see Jesus, to see the King, to know the power of the cross, to live in such a way that the world sees Jesus in us and is also compelled to be radical followers of Jesus Christ. Let's together pray to that end that God would work in all of us in 2019. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. I pray the same thing at the end of this sermon. I pray at the beginning, God, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, make our hearts understand, oh God, take the hearts of stone that beat within us and give us a heart of flesh, Lord. We want to know you more, God. We don't care about the things of this world. We realize that they're just passing by. What we want is the eternal things, the things that truly matter, the things that, that you give us only through your son. We just want Jesus this morning, God, forgive us for the ways that we've treated your son even this past week, in this past year, taking him for granted, ignoring his commands, claiming Jesus but not really living like you're real and alive in our lives. Forgive us, God. We want all that to change today. We want all that to change today. And only you can do it. So God, here we are. We throw up our hands and say, God, we know you're real. We know you've given us Jesus. Do all the things in us today and this coming year that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.